All right, we'll be in Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah chapter 30. Again, a couple reminders for you. Uh, Saturday, 8.30 in the morning here at the church will be the men's prayer breakfast. Any men and boys are welcome to come and be a part. It's just a really good time of fellowship. Uh, we do pray, but uh, hence the prayer breakfast. But uh, it is a great time of fellowship. We have a good time uh, uh, chatting and getting to know each other better as well. Sunday, anniversary Sunday. Uh, really looking forward to celebrating what God's been doing in the church and uh, excited to share some things with you. I always said there were things that we would only share in our 25th uh, church anniversary because it wouldn't sound like complaining if we waited that long. Uh, but uh, I might tell you some, some stories that maybe you haven't heard yet, but uh, excited about what God's been doing and is doing in the church right now. We want to give him all the glory for it. So next week will be a week of celebration. And uh, then in the afternoon service, the teenagers will be taking the service and, uh, and taking over and looking forward to that as well. They're all so excited uh, to be doing this, and uh, I'm excited for them as well. They've been working on uh, their messages now for about four weeks or so, and, uh, and um, they're going to be short and sweet to the point, and I think you all will enjoy them uh, and excited for the opportunity for them to do so. As well, whether or not they are, that's another question, but I'm excited for them. Um, and so that's coming up here in the next week, of course. Uh, like I said, we've got two birthdays this week. Uh, Vanessa, her birthday is on Tuesday, and then Camden's is at the end of the month on the 26th uh, there as well. And uh, Camden, by the way, is doing great. Um, he, he sounded fine this morning, but we were going to play it safe with him. And Katie texted me over lunch, said, yeah, he's definitely fine. So, uh, so that's good. Uh, I'm sure that'll be fun when we get home, but uh, uh, that's, uh, uh, we're glad about that, though, but uh, he'll be turning 10 uh, this year uh, on the 26th as well. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 30 is where we are today as we continue to go through the book of Jeremiah here on Sunday afternoons, uh, which reminds me, Jeremiah, James and Cherith, Jeremiah, um, anybody that thinks of anything that would be helpful for them uh, when they return home as they've been gone for a while now, helping with James's mother. Um, let me know, and we'll, we'll figure out something with that. I'll talk to Katie about it, too. I, um, I forgot to mention it to her before. She always has good ideas, so I'll talk to her about if there's anything else as well, but um, be thinking of them. Also, uh, Jeremiah chapter 30, the first verse says, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write these, all the words that I have spoken unto thee in a book. And we're going to look at exactly what those words are here uh, this afternoon, and we will not go as long as we went this morning, uh, as Miss Kathy's already asleep. So we're gonna we're gonna get moving. Let's pray, Lord. Thank you for letting us come this morning. We thank you for your word and what it can teach us. And God, I do pray that in the few minutes that we spend here this afternoon, that we see the great hope um, that you give. And God, I pray that it would encourage us, as I believe it's a very encouraging passage. Um, so God, encourage us. I pray in Jesus' name, Amen. We see here in Jeremiah chapter 30, God is giving a, a, a in the past with, with Jeremiah, God has given him a verbal message. Jeremiah would go and preach and teach and speak, proclaim the message in which God had for him. In this case, he says, I want you to write it in a book. Uh, this is for remembering. This is uh, uh, people who down the road can read it and look back on it and see. Obviously, the scriptures are given to us in book form that lasts for eternity. The Bible tells us that it will not... Go away, God's word. 
and that we have it in front of us, so now that we can read it. And again, to this point, it's still the most popular, uh, most sold book in the world, the Bible, which is incredible when you think about how much the world doesn't like it, what the Bible says. Um, yet still, it is a book that, that holds its weight and will continue to, as the Bible tells us, it is a, an alive book. It is a book that is living. It is quick. It is powerful. It is sharp. It can pierce uh, through and, and convict us and change our lives for the better. Uh, and it's all because it is God's Word and not just a book. And we have here now Je- Jeremiah being told to record down these things uh, for the people. Look down in verse number 4. The Bible says, And these are the words that the Lord spake concerning Israel and concerning Judah. For thus saith the Lord, We have heard a voice of trembling and of fear and not of peace. You remember the situation, captivity, the nation being taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. And we see here fear that is around. There is an understanding that uh, with obviously with circumstances like they were under, it is natural to fear. I've heard stories of folks who have lived in the time of bombings or the fear of bombings in America, where in school they would do the bomb drills hiding underneath the desk. I'm not sure that would have worked, but nonetheless, that's what they did. They were preparing for Russia attacking or whoever it may be. And, you know, it's not something that I've had to necessarily think about a whole lot. We never did bomb drills in school. We did tornado drills. And uh, by the time I got out of school is when they started doing the shooter drills and things like that. But uh, uh, it's not something that was very, very prevalent for me, but I've heard lots of stories about these things. And the thought that at any moment a nation could attack was one that brought a lot of fear upon the country. It makes sense. It would be that way now. You remember those that were alive, September 11th. That was something that was unique to my generation. Uh, I came in after all the other Cold War stuff, and uh, so that was really the first time that anything really major had happened as far as an outside country coming into our country. We had the different stuff that happened at uh, Columbine and the stuff that happened in Oklahoma City and those kinds of things, but not from an outside country coming in. And the thought that, that at any moment you know, we could be invaded was something that was brand new to me, and it did bring some fear. It also brought, isn't it crazy how much it brought patriotism to our country? Um, I'd never wish anything like that upon our country again. But you think back to those days and how united our country was in that time, and honestly how open our country was to God and the gospel during that time. Um, was incredible to me, the fear that opened hearts to listen to hope. Um, incredible. We went in January, after September 11th, went in January to New York City on an evangelistic outreach, passing out tracts, offering to pray with people, offering to share the gospel with people. And the amount of people that would just stop in the middle of their day, as they're walking past, just stop and say, would you pray with me? Yeah. What would you like me to pray about? Just all kinds of things, from health issues, financial issues, worry issues, parenting issues, um, all kinds of stuff. And people were just so open. We went back year after year. I only went six or seven times, or six times, I guess, I don't know. Um, but nonetheless, we go back year after year, and slowly it began to get less and less and less and less that people would stop and talk. Part of the reason why is because the fear was gone. And it's intriguing to me how, how uh, a... A, something that had nothing to do with religion, well, it did in some degrees, I guess, uh, but with religion, when, the, uh, when our country got attacked, it opened the door for the gospel to be presented. Um, 
fear does different things, but in this case, there was fear amongst the nation as the invasion happened and the captivity happened. It says in verse 6, Ask ye now and see whether a man doth travail with child. This is, this is graphic and really interesting to me. Uh, but it says, Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail, and all faces are turned into paleness. You see the pain, the fear that is there, um, that is that, that what it's compared to a woman in travail. Uh, and you know, a lot of women say, I'd like to see a man do this. But uh, nonetheless, we gladly give it to you. But the, the, the fear, the pain, the anguish, all that was happening here, you see it as a nation uh, um, that was just pale with pain. And you see in verse number 7, Alas, for the, that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, and he shall be saved out of it. Now there's where the hope comes in. Verse 8, uh, Assurance of deliverance, for it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off thy neck, and I will burst thy bonds, and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him, but they shall serve the Lord their God, and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. So remember, several chapters ago we had the um, picture. God told Nehemiah, take this yoke, put it on your neck, go in and preach this message, and he did so. And now God is, is giving the message of deliverance that is going to come, the breaking of the yoke now. And instead of serving strangers, instead of serving Babylon, they will serve God again. Uh, this is a hopeful message of restoration, and we'll see more of it in just a moment. Um, in verse 11, you see, well, look at verse 10, and we'll get to verse 11 too. It says, Therefore fear thou not, O my servant Jacob, saith the Lord, neither be dismayed, O Israel, for lo, I will save thee from afar, and thy seed from the land of their captivity. And Jacob shall return, and shall be in rest, and be quiet, and none shall make him afraid. For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to save thee, Though I make a full end of all nations, whither I have scattered thee, yet will I not make a full end of thee. This is important. There was a time, if people weren't listening to the message that, Nehemiah, or that Jeremiah was preaching, there was a time that many would have thought God has abandoned us. And not only has he abandoned us, he is against us. That's a scary place to be as a child of God. As, as one of God's people, to think, God has not only abandoned you, but he is against you. You don't want to be in that spot. You don't want to be against God. You, don't, you definitely don't want God to be against you. But you see, God was not against his people. He did send them to captivity. We've talked about this, I know. But he did send them to captivity, but there was a reason, and we're getting there in just a couple verses. But it's not that he left them. It's not that he abandoned them. It's not that he was against them. Their choices, their actions needed punishment. And that's exactly what God did to him. But he says there in verse 11, he says, I have scattered thee, yet will I not make a full end of thee. He says earlier in verse 11 that he has made a full end of nations. Look throughout history. Nations that were powerful and ruled much of the world no longer exist. God made an end of them. But he tells his people here, Israel, he says, I will not make an end of you. Yes, I've scattered you. Yes, I've disciplined you. Yes, there has been punishment for your actions, but you will not uh, be destroyed because I'm going to restore you. Um, he says in verse 11, he goes on to say, but I will correct thee in measure and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. If, 
um, the Bible says of God, of whom he love, he chasteneth. And we'll see that in verse uh, 14 as well. But, uh, well, I should probably wait till we get to verse 14. I'll go ahead and jump ahead. That idea of chastisement, of chastening, it's the same, same picture of a parent that loves their child. It's discipline because of love. It's not out of anger. It's not out of frustration. It's because I love you, I must correct you. The Bible tells us in order to be a friend, you have to be a friend that helps other people do right. If you truly love someone, you're not going to let them continue in wrongdoing because it's going to ruin their life. It's going to hurt them. It's going to cause pain. Now, they won't always listen to you, and there are times where you just have to sadly just walk away from it. But if you love someone, you try to help them do right. And we've talked about that a lot with the world today. They say, well, you're supposed to love me. Well, yeah, because I love you, I'm trying to help you. Now, again, we know churches, we know pastors, we know Christians that have done this in the wrong way. We've seen them yelling and screaming. That's not love. But in order to help someone do right, we can't sit there and just let them do wrong. We can't just hold our, our tongues. We can't just sit there and go, you know... Um, got a million illustrations i don't want to make it too personal we we've got this these things where people are saying if you love me you'll let me do this and the reality is no because i love you i will not let you do this because i love you i'm trying to help you so you do not have to experience the pain the suffering and the consequences that come with these actions and so and again there will be times where they'll reject it they won't want it they won't listen whatever but your job is to love them. And in order to love them, you have to help them do right. You don't love someone that you let them just run amok. And God loved his people, and he wasn't going to just let them keep worshiping idols and keep serving false gods. He said, so I'm not going to let you go altogether unpunished. I will chastise you, verse 14, uh, as he says there. And we'll get to that in just a second. Uh, but, uh, but it's because of love. That's what the idea of chastise means here. Uh, verse 12, For thus saith the Lord, Thy bruise is incurable and thy wound is grievous. There is none to plead thy cause. Uh, friends and family have abandoned. The rest of the nation has run. All that kind of stuff. Uh, he's in verse uh, 13, That thou mayest be bound up. Thou hast no healing medicines. All thy lovers have forgotten thee and seek thee not. For I have wounded thee with the wound of an enemy, Babylon, with the chastisement of a cruel one. For the multitude of thine iniquities, there's the purpose, the reason behind all the trouble, because thy sins were increased. Read the scriptures, you will find God offering, proclaiming a message of repentance and forgiveness. But with that message also comes, if you don't, there are consequences. Listen, sin, there's always consequences to sin. Even when we sin and we get right, there's still going to be consequences for the sin. That's just the way it works. But uh, there is a, a worse consequence. There is a harsher consequence. There are other things that happen. And God says, here, the reason why you are suffering, the consequences you're suffering, is because your sins were increased. They kept getting worse and worse and worse and more and more and more. And you, I gave you the chance. We looked at, I don't remember, 18 chapters, maybe more, of God saying, repent, return. Come back. Stop. And continuously the people said, we don't want to hear that message. They, they turned their head. They turned their back. 
they plugged their ears. They said, na 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 na, I can't hear you. And then they paid the consequence for it. Verse 15, he says, Why criest thou for thine affliction? Thy sorrow is incurable for the multitude of thine iniquity because thy sins were increased. I have done thee these, these things unto thee. Therefore, all they that devour thee shall be devoured. I love this. We've talked about it in multiple chapters in Jeremiah. But he says, All they that devour thee shall be devoured. And all thine adversaries, every one of them, shall go into captivity. And they that spoil thee shall be a spoil and all that prey upon thee will I give for a prey. God says, listen, I sent you into captivity at the hand of Babylon. I did that, but Babylon's going to pay for it. Isn't that great? I love it. I don't know about you. I love it. God says, I'm going to use these wicked people to punish my people, and then once the punishment is done, I'm going to punish the wicked people for being mean to my people. I love it. God says, listen, I'm doing my part as a father, I'm doing my part as one that loves you. I'm going to punish you because of your sin. I gave you the chance to repent. I gave you the chance to return. You didn't do it. But he says, when the punishment is done, anybody who did anything to you is going to pay. Them that devour you, I'm going to devour. Them that spoil you, they're going to be a spoil. Spoil is not a good thing. Remember, you understand by spoil, war spoil, they go in and take stuff, that kind of stuff. Not spoil you like grandma does uh and then that spoil you i'm going to spoil them they're going to be destroyed i'm going to take care of them i'm going to punish them for messing with you and then i love the first four verse words in verse 17 for i will restore he says i will restore health unto thee i will heal thee of thy wounds saith the lord because they called thee an outcast saying this is zion whom no man seeketh after I will restore. It's popular today to restore homes. People buy these beat-up, nasty homes, and then they tear everything out and restore it to its original beauty. And it's a picture of what God is going to do with those who sin and get right with Him. He says, you might be a, a nasty, beat-up, roach-infested house. He said, but I'm going to restore you. I'm going to heal the wounds. I'm going to give fresh paint. Your value is going to be so much more than it was. You see, people say, I forgive, but I don't forget. You can't restore someone if you can't forget what they've done. God says, I'm going to take your sins after you've asked for forgiveness. I'm going to take your sins and I'm going to place them as far as the east is from the west. God doesn't bring up things from the past. You know, it's natural for us to bring things up. We'll have a fight and we'll forgive and we'll move on and then years down the road, Something will happen. It will trigger something, and someone will say something. Well, this is just like it was back then. That's not forgetting. That's not restoration. It's not being restored. God says, listen, and he's talking to Israel here, but I believe the same is true with us. He says, listen, no matter how torn down you are, 
I've met, it's so funny. As a pastor, the things people tell me, it's, it's crazy. Like, not as their pastor, just, you know, I'm killing bugs and someone finds out I'm a pastor. Next thing, they're like confessing everything to me. I'm like, I do not need to know this. <clears throat> but you know, people are seeking restoration. I, I've met people who, who, I mean, the things they've done, you know, I can't imagine it. For me, I'm going, oh, that's really bad. And they talk like, because they can't get over it, God can't get over it. But God says, I will restore. Think about this. It's a nation. God's chosen people. Israel. All the things that God did for them. And they turned away from him. They rejected him. And he says, listen, if you come back, I won't do these things. And they gave him opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, and they still rejected him. God is willing to restore that. You best believe God's willing to restore you, no matter what you've done. And that's what God says, I'll restore, I will heal, I will bring you back. Um, verse 20, uh, verse 19, and uh, out of them shall proceed thanksgiving, and the voice of them that make merry, and I will multiply them, and they shall not be few. I will also glorify them, and they uh, shall not be small. Their children also shall be as aforetime, and their congregation shall be established before me, and I will punish all that oppress them. He's saying, listen, you've been through a time of discipline. You've been through a time of captivity, but that restoration means new growth. Families will increase. The nation will increase. And we watch as God is, is promising this wonderful restoration, and we'll see it again in the next chapter as well. But we see this restoration that God comes. Verse 22, And ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. It's that restoration back to the way it was supposed to be, back to its original beauty of you serving me and me taking care of you. Because God offered that protection before the captivity when he said return, and they said no. But God says here it will be again. I will restore it back to the way it's supposed to be, and ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. There is nothing, in my opinion, as a Christian, that is more hopeful than God's restoration. Listen, I'm not going <clears> to <throat> confess all my sins to you. I've confessed some of them, but uh, I'm not going to confess all of them. The reality is the fact that God's willing to restore I have friends that are not in the ministry anymore because they're no longer qualified biblically to be in the ministry because of sins they committed. Listen, that's not easy. But I'm watching as God's restoring people. And it's wonderful. It's wonderful. But you see, God's offering that restoration at all times. The smallest blemish uh, you ever buy a new car and got the first scratch on it? Oh, man, that's the worst feeling in the world. I joke about it. Anytime I see someone with a new car, our boss just bought a new truck for the fleet at work. And I said, you might as well just go ahead and scratch it. Get it over with. It's going to cause you a lot, lot less uh, sleepless nights if you just go ahead and scratch it now. Man, that first one. And you sit there and go, now it's, now it's messed up. Now it's not new. God can fix that blemish. And sometimes we don't think seriously enough about sin. It's a 
something gets in our life and we say it wasn't that big of a deal, the reality is, is God's waiting with the paintbrush. Let's go ahead and take care of that. And we play it off for far too long. You know what it leads to? More sin. More heartache. And God's saying, just return. You say, well, it wasn't that big of a deal. Maybe not, but you're, you're headed the wrong way. Revival, repentance, the same idea is the going this way and turning 180 degrees and now going this way. And when we sin, if we're going this way and we're right with God when we sin, it's not that we just go here. No, it doesn't matter how big the sin is in your eyes. When we sin, we're no longer headed this way. We're headed this way. And we need to be restored. We need to be revived. We need to be turned back going the right direction again. And God says, I'm here for it. I'll take care of it. I'll heal your wounds. Some wounds are deeper than others, no doubt, but God can take care of every single one. So let's not make the mistakes that we've made in the past. Let's not make the mistakes that others have made in the past and continue walking the wrong direction. Let's go to God and claim his promise of restoration and of healing and let him put us right back where we're supposed to be. I will be his person and he will be my God. That's where it's supposed to be. Restored back to natural beauty. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for your willingness. Because, God, it's not necessary. Uh, you are the God of the universe. But, God, you are still willing to restore me any time that I need it. And, God, it's not just forgiveness, although you offer us perfect cleansing. But, God, that willingness to bring me back into full fellowship with you uh, any time that I do wrong, Lord, is, is such a wonderful thought. I pray that today we would be committed to following you. And, Lord, if we're not, if we're not following you, Lord, if we've got sin in our life, God, I pray that we wouldn't let that build up, Lord, where the discipline must be harsh. But, God, I pray that we would come to you, seek forgiveness, and, Lord, be restored in your eyes. God, bring us back to our natural beauty. Lord, that we are your people and you are our God. God, may we serve you faithfully. We can't do it without your help, so, God, we're asking for it now. Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for coming today. Um, I got a text message from uh, Gary Norris this morning. He's back in the state, and uh, he'll, he's hoping to come by sometime and visit uh, with us. He's been busy helping other churches and things like that. Um, several of you have never even heard the name Gary Norris, but uh, uh, let alone seen him. So uh, hopefully he'll be with us soon, give us an update on everything that he's been going on with his ministry. And then... Um, don't forget about men's prayer breakfast on Saturday. Of course, anniversary Sunday. Uh, next Sunday, we're doing a grill out. If the weather's nice, uh, I said we pull the chairs and tables outside and eat, but you don't have to if you don't want to. Um, whatever. Uh, don't be a party pooper. But uh, nonetheless, uh, next Sunday, we're celebrating our seventh anniversary as a church. I'm telling you, it's so much to be thankful for and excited about, about what God's doing. Uh, here as well. Uh, thank y'all. Um, if anybody can help out with the Jeremiah's, let me know. Uh, Lord bless you. Let's be dismissed.